Hello, and welcome to the Marketing Experiments Web Clinic Audio Replay Podcast. Marketing Experiments is an internet marketing research laboratory. The web clinic you are about to hear was broadcast live to an international audience of marketing professionals. Sign up to be invited to future web clinics, as well as gain access to all of our online marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. All right, good afternoon. We're at yet another web clinic. I want to remind you that, again, we're testing new technology. This is our second official run. We're also standing in the new studio that we've recently developed at our facilities. This studio is different than the one that's even on the last video that we produced where we showed you behind the scenes in the development of a web clinic. Today, we're going to be drilling down on maximizing conversion, how one company quickly achieved a 58 lift with a radical redesign. I think the operative adverb here is quickly. It's important because the testing process must be thorough, and there is a trade-off between being thorough and being fast. And what we have pioneered in this laboratory from years of experimentation is a way to achieve both, and that is the precise point of the time we're going to be spending together. You can use hashtag webclinic to discuss this as we uh, continue throughout the uh, the presentation. I'm going to be joined today by Nicholas and by Spencer, and uh, both are uh, experts working uh, in our research group. Nicholas is a research manager, and uh, Spencer is a senior manager, and uh, I'll be uh, walking you through the first case study. Let's begin with the TORST protocol. It's TP1429. The company is a leading automotive head gasket repair solution, and the goal was to increase total orders on the cart page. The question was simply this, which landing page, which cart will result in a higher conversion rate? Take a look at the control. You'll see step two, step three, step four, step five, and step six. This is a very successful site, uh, and it's focused around a single product purchase. I'd like to give you just a moment to take a look at this and make some of the recommendations that... uh, that you would offer in order to improve the performance of this page. So I'll walk over to where I see your recommendations coming in, and it says cut the steps. That's Josh. Condense the steps, says Maynard. And uh, you may use the Q&A feature of your of your control panel to uh, to address this particular concern. More structure, says Graham. And uh, I'm watching as your recommendations come in. A clearer call to action, says Dominic. Get rid of the professional installer. Better visual hierarchy, says uh, Ben. Make a larger buy button, says Corey. Less clutter on the pages, says Brianna. And on they start coming in. Uh, Hundreds of you are responding right now as I speak. I want to share you just a little bit more uh, with what happened. And uh, here is the treatment. Take a look at this for just a moment. Now, this will not be your typical McLabs case study. And so let's back up. Look at the control. And then take again a look at the treatment. Now let's look at them side by side. There's the control and the treatment of the primary page side by side. There's something very different about this test. And that's what I want you to start to discern. So uh, as you think about those two, let's go back to the control. And let's point out that an average experiment conducted by a professional researcher who understands the testing process who's attempting to isolate variables, would likely pick out a single variable at a time. They might test the the headline. They might test the 
the, the button itself, the color, the call to action, the wording on it, etc., the size, uh, the, the three-dimensionality. They might test the video that you see. They might test uh, the copy. But in each of these cases, we would be picking out a single isolated variable and we'd be using that variable to try and determine uh, really how the customer was thinking and to try and get a lift. But there are some problems. Testing this one variable at a time has a significant impact on uh, the time it takes to get to a meaningful result. So let's look at what we actually did. And if you'll take the same page and let's point out some of the changes that we made. Here is uh, one, the logo. Here is another, uh, the logo on the bottle itself. This is at the top of the page, not just the logo, but the actual uh, graphic, the image. And then you'll see that we changed navigation. And look at all the other changes. In fact, if you look at the page carefully, we made changes everywhere. Now, we're a research laboratory. We have the world's largest library of case studies and experiments in this field. We've been doing this uh, over thousands of pages across multiple iterations. Why would a science laboratory be willing to make those changes, that many, at one time? That's key. And the answer to that question drives much of what we're going to talk about today. So let's back up just a little bit and think about that question. Again, we are looking now at the new page. And let's consider... Uh, three points that I think are, are critical for the audience to understand. Number one, we're not operating in a, in a clinical environment with sterile conditions. This is a field test. One of the keys in the whole approach that MetGlads has taken over the last decade is to, is to form the bridge between what we understand in the science laboratory and what occurs in the field. It's so tragic but so true that in many situations the academic environment is isolated from the field. And what happens is many theories are, are determined, but very few of them are actually pushed out in a pragmatic way that can impact the practitioner. At MEC Labs, we're trying to bridge these two points. I think there's an old joke, and I'm quoting it <laughs> from memory, so gentlemen, go easy on me. And it's not in the notes, and it's not on the slides, and Paul Chinney, one of the writers that's worked with us, is, uh, is uh, grinning at me, and I think it's uh, sarcastically. But it is about two economists, and one of them says, you know, this whole, this whole uh, finding works well in practice. And the other economist says, yes, but will it work in theory? Uh, the, the, the whole reversal in that is part of the problem that we see. In a field test, you must deal with special conditions that you do not have in a lab. This business is dependent upon its revenue stream. Most of its revenue flows through this single product offering. And you can't wait for a series of 10 tests across 12 months to get the results that you need. Every single error, every day, costs money. So with that in mind, we ran a test and now you can see the results. Now, I'd like to point out that this is a 58.1% increase in conversion all the way through the cart process. That's a significant increase in revenue. And that significant increase in revenue is essential for you to consider because had we done this improperly or a single step at a time, every single day that it took us to arrive at this page category, this primary test, would have cost this business unit money. So what did we do and what can you learn from this? Well, there are a lot of theories about how to 
consider uh, communication, communication theory. Value proposition itself is something that we're writing extensively on. Look for more books, more content, more material. And we have studied everything from usability to decision theory, cognitive psychology to game theory, trying to understand a simple question. How can we get more people to say yes to our offer? Along the way, we've done our own experiments. We've done our own training. And we've worked through process after process, methodology after methodology, slowly building out a meta-theory based on what we're experiencing in, in the field. And with that in mind, I'd like to kind of cut through most of that clutter and simply give you three ways that you can learn how to capture this kind of gain in your own testing process. And to do so, let's begin right away with the first point. I want to point out that if you're just joining us, we're going to be adding live optimization to the end of today's session. We're going to look at your own pages. We're going to consider how we might make wholesale critical changes and even design what we call radical pages or radical redesigns. That's coming. The audience, you have submitted your pages and many of those will be considered today as we go forward. But I'd like to teach the first point right now and that is this. You must understand, we must understand how to utilize radical redesigns to determine the best page category before we can conduct iterative single-factor testing. Now, now if, if you're not an academic, there may be some words in that particular sentence that we need to think about together. If this seems like a, an abstract concept, stay with me because we're going to break it down and we're going to understand it one key phrase at a time. Here's the first, a radical redesign. And here's a definition. A radical redesign is an experimental approach in which the treatments are categorically different from the control. So many times we experience a degradation in performance. We experience diminishing returns in our efforts to optimize because we're making incremental changes to the wrong page. Some pages should be optimized. Some pages should be destroyed. And we should start over. The problem is you don't know which page is which and you need a methodology and that's what this entire session is about. So a radical redine is, is an experimental approach in which the treatments are categorically different from the control. Here's an example. Here's a page. And I'm going to show you a new page, a radical redesign. And in some ways, it looks very similar. But if you look at the elements outlined under problems, they're all being changed simultaneously in the treatment. The headline, the layout, the call to action, the value proposition, the thought sequence, all of them are being changed. And... You can see in the radical redesign how all of these particulars have been changed and tested in one single move. What happens? A 54% increase in conversion. Now, if you're a PhD and you're watching this particular presentation, you may be saying to yourself, yes, but what about the isolated variables? How can we understand more about the Y factor? All that's coming. And we'll talk to you about that before this is done. But let's look at another example. This is from our library, one of our test protocols. Here's a page. We identify multiple problems. And with those multiple problems, we, we look for a solution that will help us to get closer to what we should be incrementally testing. And so we redesign the page. And the new version is radical. This, again, is a radical redesign. And what's significant, what's so important, is that with this single test, we're able to achieve an 816% increase. And with that 816% increase, we're able to go back now and iterate and learn and refine and optimize and isolate variables and drive performance up higher. But had we started that process on the original design, we would have come, well, we would have never achieved that kind of number at anywhere near 
this kind of speed. So, uh, let's look further. Let's look at the second key word or key term in this uh, definition or in this principle. We must understand how to utilize radical redesigns to determine our best page category. Now, what are we talking about here? Well, a category is a kind of communication archetype. It's a particular. One might be long copy versus short copy. Now, if, again, that's still a little bit nebulous for you, bear with us, because I'm going to give you precise examples of a difference in category. Think about your own page right now. The whole point of today's session is to learn everything you can learn that will help you go back and get a lift as soon as possible in your own operation. So, look at the page on the left. It is image heavy in its design. Look at the page on the right. It is text heavy in its design. This is called an elemental category shift. Key page elements are being radically transformed. And this category of shift enables us to see whether or not we're even starting to optimize the right foundation, the right page. Look at the next. Here is a complete difference in sales tone, and it's from one of our own mailings. And this was a very specific test that we ran. And one uses traditional sales language, and the other uses a more clinical tone. By the way, the academic tone outproduced the sales tone dramatically. But just notice the difference. Sales tone and academic tone. Now, what is this uh, category shift? It's tonality. And yours may not be from sales tone to academic tone, but there are many different voices. And in a sense, we're changing the voice of the page. This brings me to uh, the next. From a three-column layout to a one-column layout. What are we looking at here? This is a categorical shift. This is a major structural change. Look carefully and you can see without any of the content on the slide, except just the, the bare outline of the page, there is, a, there is a significant difference in the approach. And this is a structural shift. Uh, so one more, last key. This is a difference in message. This is a fundamental difference in message. It's a, it's a shift in the essence of the message. We're moving from a focus on free access to a focus on the value of the product. The whole, the whole aim of the copy is transformed in the second. Now, here again, we're not just changing a single element, but we're changing the entire approach. And that is the key to a good radical redesign. Now, we've defined two of these key concepts that we're utilizing in this principle. Let us define a third. Bear this in mind. I'm moving towards a six-step process and then live optimization. We're going to move from this kind of theoretical conversation right into action, and we're going to show you example after example. But let's look at this third point, single-factor testing. This is a testing approach that limits the number of independent variables to one. Now, I say that as a part of this first principle. The idea is that before, before you move to this type of test design, you often have to change the entire page category and ask yourself a more fundamental question. Am I even starting with the right page? Am I even starting in the right category? Now, I, I want to I give an example of single factor testing, but before I do, let me just warn you, I get to see many tests all over the world. And in doing so, I have reviewed process after process. The internet is coming alive to the to the possibility of testing. But as, as we do, we're running tests that have not been properly thought through. We're running tests that we haven't even set up for validity, thorough, thorough validity checks. I mean, validity issues arise that are more than, say, your confidence size or your confidence factor. 
There's lots of threats to our data. But another big issue is that we'll just randomly pick various pages and run different tests on them and hope we get a result. The single factor testing is a wonderful way to, to learn a great deal. But we need to know when to, when to zero in and narrow our focus and when to be wider. And a good test design involves, first of all, figuring out the categories of pages that you should challenge your control with. Here is a classic single factor test. You hear it called an A-B split. Now, mind you, this could be an A-B-C-D-E-F split if the traffic was simple and it would still be single factor because on all versions of the page, we'd only be testing one element. What's the difference between the two versions? Can the audience see the difference? Somebody tell me. Use the Q&A feature. What's the big difference? Look at version A and version B. Yes, the CDA. It's the CDA color, the call to action. So there's the big difference. Now let's look at the conversion differential. There, it, let's, uh, in a sense, uh, we're running a hypothetical test right now. We, we created two pages. One is a control, one is a treatment. Version A is the control, version B is called the treatment. You have a call to action. We're testing the color of the button. The green color produces a 2.1% yield. The red color produces a 3.3% yield. And we now have a winner. That is a classic single factorial test or a single factor test. And, uh, and what you have is a variable. In this case, the variable is the button color and the value is the specific color. Is it red or is it green? And that's how you set up a single factorial test. So if you, if you keep all of that in mind, then this first statement makes more sense to you. And it's the first of the three points we need to learn. We have to understand how to utilize a radical redesign to determine the best page category before we conduct uh, iterative single factor testing. All right, let's move to the second. You can see that it's highlighted now. We must carefully employ a six-step methodology for identifying the best page category. Now, if you're, uh, if you're trying to imagine how we're going to spend the balance of this time, we're going to walk through these six steps with you right now, help you get clarity about how to take what we just described in theory and go back and apply it in practice. Then we're going to look at live examples and work through those. So let's go uh, to the first point. Number one, evaluate your results to date. So here's a methodology. You may want to take notes on this. Later, you can get a, a copy of this online. And there's about $10 million worth of research at, uh, at marketingexperiments.com where you can read lots of helpful information like this and watch many clinics like this. And all of it is at no cost to you. So let's work through the first step. Evaluate your results to date. So here we go. Review your testing results to date and look for the hallmarks of a wrong forest problem. What do we mean by a wrong forest problem? Well, that's an that's a internal reference here to a group of loggers who do an effective job at chopping down a lot of trees, but it is in the wrong forest. And so the fact that they had an excellent day's work doesn't really impact the task at hand. Are you in the right forest or not? Well, here is uh, here is the previous control. And then. Here is uh, the control that they tested against the previous control before we got engaged. And the results were negligible. This is why we had to get engaged and take this new methodology. This is why the partner came to us. They'd already tried testing. They'd already changed the entire website. In fact, they had gone backwards in their conversion rate. And so we had to, first of all, get them to revert back to the highest performing control, set that as the benchmark, and then work through a testing process to help them achieve the highest gain. So... You may need a radical redesign if, and no, this is not Letterman, and certainly Letterman is um, uh, more effective than I, 
Uh, if your website is significantly underperforming, that's a clue. I think most of us are familiar with that one. Uh, if your test results themselves are unimpressive. I look at a lot of test cycles where they're excited to get a 4% gain, a 2% gain, a 5% gain, an 11% gain. Sometimes that's very significant. Many times it's not. And in either case, it makes you wonder, what could we really achieve if we designed the test in the most efficient way? Uh, here's another. You have trouble getting a valid test. We review test after test where validity is almost impossible to determine. These are tests that have been submitted to us and people are asking for help. You may need a radical redesign if the market is shifted, either macro or micro, and because of that, your message is no longer relevant or you're not certain that your approach is the best approach. In any case, it leads you to the second step, which is to determine problems. So you, you've identified you've got a problem. Now we've got to look, drill down and look at the actual problems associated with the communication. So here you review the conversion index. If you're not familiar with the conversion sequence or the conversion index, go to the marketingexperiments.com site, do a search under that name, and there's lots of lectures and help there that will teach you how to use that heuristic you see on the left. C equals 4M plus 3B plus 2I minus F minus 2A. I have seen in one retail test that simple heuristic produce a $53 million yield. It's made hundreds of millions of dollars because it enables us to drill down on the cognitive psychology of a message and understand where is it leaking in its efficiencies. In this case, uh, we're looking at this page and we're trying to understand between the conversion index and the customer profile analysis, are we saying the right things in the right way? And problems are identified. Now, look, this is what we call a pervasive case study. This is the case study that we opened with. And if you'll, if you'll notice... It, it's going to help us capture the whole point that we're trying to make today. We identified with the team these problems. Multiple steps uh, in, in the buy process and, uh, and it caused excessive friction. Many of you saw the same thing. Multiple calls to action, which of course adds friction to the process and it confuses the user. Remember, clarity trumps persuasion. Value proposition is buried in copy and links. And so it's very difficult for the person to understand why. When you get to a page like this, you have to ask and answer three questions immediately. You've got four inches to, to do that. Where am I? What can I do here? And why should I do it? Of those three questions, this page is only answering one. And the other two, it's answering poorly. And, of course, that informs the way we approach the next step. Once we've determined problems, we've got to go past that and we've got to hypothesize a solution. But before I tell you how we approach that one, I've got a new page up on the screen. I'd like the audience to help me. I want to take a look at what you would do. What are the problems on this page? Now, we didn't pick this out because we thought uh, it might make the point. You submitted this page to us. Later, we're going to do live optimization. We're just using this page to help teach right now. Audience, let's optimize for the person who submitted this page. I'm looking. Uh, it's a visual headache, says Braden. Too many images, says Daniel. Too much muck, says Christian. Uh, add more pictures, says Nathan. Yeah, that's what we need. More pictures. Good call, Nathan. Uh, uh, no CTA, Shelley. Yikes, it's even a landing. Is it even a landing page? Somebody said. And then I love this uh, creative marketer, Mitch. Too much blah. Too much text. Too many things to look at. Now, if you submitted this page, we're not really trying to run your day or insult you, but you've got one of the world's largest, most sophisticated focus groups reviewing your page with you, and you can learn a lot. We read every line that you submit to us, and we'll read them after this is over. And my point is, the audience is overwhelmed by the amount of content they're trying to process. And we're going to talk more about how to fix such things in the future, but the bottom line is, in step two, you try to determine 
the, the key problems. And then that helps you move to the next step, which is hypothesize the solutions. So let's look at uh, another example. Remember that first page we looked at from the uh, steel seal? Uh, here's the first. Multiple steps in the by-process cause excessive friction. Multiple call to actions. Remember that? Value proposition is buried. So here, what do we do? We, put, we, we posited solutions. And you can see those solutions. And they work themselves out on a new page. So we design the alternate treatments to do that. So let's look at that page. And here you see those solutions. Eliminate as many card steps as possible. Create a single call to action with a radio button to select product. And clarify and highlight the value proposition in the copy. Now think, we're on step four. We've just shifted almost seamlessly into this fourth step, designing alternate treatments. These are the treatments we're going to test. And they are now positing the solutions. But what you need to understand is that we are making many changes at one time to see if this general design is going to be a better performing design. And then we're going to iterate. We're going to refine. We're going to test carefully. And we're going to try to drive up the response by gaining a deeper understanding of how the customer is thinking through isolating independent variables. Let's keep going. So here's a point that was made by our director of sciences, Bob Kemper. Due to high volume, and we took this example from a test with IBM, uh, you should try to test as many treatments as your traffic will allow. Two factors determine how fast you can test. The first, and I'm saying if you're trying to achieve uh, uh, you know, validity, the first is the number of actions you can measure. With lots of traffic, there's a lot of actions. The second is the differential between the, the response uh, uh, to the controls and the treatments. The wider the gap, the quicker you can reach validity. Those two factors enable you to test many pages rapidly uh, if, uh, if they're present and sufficient. And that's what occurred in this IBM test. By the way, uh, this is not in my notes, but a real sexy word that's being used all the time is, is multi-factor testing, multivariable tester, multivariant testing. These, they're all the same concept. Do we believe in that process? Yes. Do we use that process ourselves? Yes. But it's misused most of the time. It requires an enormous amount of traffic to reach validity, and we find it hard to get big, solid, high uh, conversion rate wins by simply doing multivariant testing. In many cases, we need to, first of all, do the categorical shifts, use variable clusters, and get to a certain point in the process. And many of us are using multi-factor or multivariant or multivariable testing at the wrong time. And uh, because it sounds like the latest thing, because it's a buzzword, uh, we get excited about it and think it's the most sophisticated way. It is not. It is just another tool that should be used at the right time. But let's keep going. I'm at step five. I'm almost ready for live optimization. There are six steps total, and this is the fifth. Analyze and interpret the test results. So let's, uh, let's look at this example. Remember the beginning? We talked about the 58.1% increase in conversion. You'll notice underneath that the control and uh, and the optimized page, you'll see how we're consistently watching the win. By the way, for those of you that are, are looking, do you see there's a point where the control is beating the optimized? It looks like on 8611, the optimized path, the treatment, is underperforming. If you shut off at that point, you make a grave error. You think this control isn't working. But that's because you don't have enough actions and you don't have enough differential between the two to find out the truth. You can see again somewhere around 8.12 there's a difference. 
This is why we must run test the full cycle. We must uh, do true uh, confidence interval in our thinking and calculations to achieve uh, validity and data points that we can really act on. As you look at that whole piece, you'll see there's a 58.1% increase in conversion. And you may celebrate victory, but this is just the beginning. All this has done has enabled us to understand the right page gallery, possibly, in which to conduct our other testing. Remember this? A 58% increase in conversion. But we need to go past this. And this is probably the most important thing I have to say in this entire clinic. The goal of the testing is not to get a lift. It's to get a learning. And you will not get the learning if you just look at the numbers. You've got to convert how much or how many into why so. You've got to think about, okay, so this is what the numbers tell me about the number of people making a certain decision. But what can I learn about my customer from this? And so you go back. You look at that same design and you say, okay, we reduce the amount of cart steps. But I'm learning now that my customer's motivation is not high enough to maintain momentum through the longer cart process. Why? And, uh, and uh, we created a single CTA and now we understand that our customer is potentially confused by those multiple calls to action. What's going on in their thinking when they arrive at this page? What are they expecting to see? And not only does this start to teach me about my customer, but as always, it suggests more questions. And those additional questions are the key to designing your next test. You can see again that when we clarified and highlighted the value proposition in the copy, we, we realized that the customer's not ready to click, uh, that they perhaps haven't, haven't read and understood the value of the product, that we've got to get the call to action at the right point in the thought sequence. I've taught before that, you know, you wouldn't leave this this studio now at the end of the day and walk up to a bar, see a beautiful girl, and... Uh, grab her by the shoulders and kiss her full on the lips. The reason is because um, you'd probably get thrown out of the bar and you definitely would probably re uh, have a problem developing a meaningful relationship with this girl in the future. The reality is your call to action is above the fold. The reality is you're asking too soon. You're asking before uh, they're at the right place in the thought sequence. And, and that applies right here. We're looking and saying, do they have sufficient... Uh, evolution in their thought process in order to be ready uh, to make this decision. Otherwise, their answer will be no and they terminate our opportunity. That's all being thought about and we're trying to understand that as we start to interpret the test results. We're at step six. You're doing very well. It's almost time for live optimization. Spencer's standing by and uh, Nicholas is standing by and um, we're going to get into that very, very soon. But let's look at the sixth step. So once you've tested into the correct category, now you can plan those iterative tests, those refining tests with isolated variables so that you can gain more insight into the mind of the customer. Radical redesign in this first stage. Now focus. Look at the diagram. In fact, you can see it up here. Look at the radical redesigns. Look at the way you move from that into more focused variable clusters. You say, what's a variable cluster? There's a whole training program on this, and we'll send you a link to that training uh, program. In fact, we'll maybe use Twitter right now to get it to you. It teaches you what a variable cluster is. This is when you change a small group of carefully chosen variables in a single design. Not the entire page, not a category shift, but it might be the headline, subheader, and opening sentence. That's a variable cluster. 
So you're gradually narrowing the focus of your testing from the radical redesign to the variable clusters and, uh, and then to the single variable tests. This process is allowing you to answer those important questions about the customer. And so uh, let's look at this original test. Audience, I need your help now. We're still testing with this group. They're a wonderful research partner. Uh, they've got a very, very uh, sharp uh, leader who's thinking through uh, the business and where it's going to be in the future. Help them now. Tell me what new test you would design. What would you test next? I'm going to walk over to the screen and look at your response. I would try to improve the iPath, says Jeff. I would, uh, I would check a test video versus images. Interesting. I would try to improve... Um, the button color, add SSL and Better Business Bureau logo, someone said. Uh, a money-back guarantee on this page. The color scene, someone said. Uh, the, uh, the repair up higher. Someone said no SEO. Andrew, you're right, but we have different pages for SEO. This page is designed uh, to work with their existing traffic. Uh, the yellow button, someone says. The testimonial, says Joanne. The money-back guarantee, says uh, Gregory. Add a testimonial or a quote. I assume they mean apart from the video. All right. Change the grid. Eliminate the nav. The product rating. Interesting point. Uh, we're going to read all these. You may have some good ideas in here. Let me tell you the tests that we've already run and give you a sense of the ones we've either got running right now or the ones we've just completed. An accordion-style cart we've just tested. Uh, uh, putting the cart on the page itself so that it can move right into the process. Uh, a single product offer with no choices and no drop-downs. Can, can you see how these versions are helping us to isolate further and understand more and more about the best way to communicate with this customer? That's driving the entire thinking across this process. When you put it all together, it really comes down again to these three principles. Number one, we need to understand how to utilize radical redesigns to determine our best page category. And then we're going to conduct Iterative, single factorial testing. Number two, we must employ a kind of six-step methodology for identifying the very best page category. We've walked through those six steps. We can teach you more about that. And, uh, and we'll probably have subsequent clinics. We also have training. The landing page optimization course is a course that you may want to take where we teach you how to do these things. The third is we must identify transferable principles. Guess what? I'm on step three. There's one. There's two. And finally, three. Remember we talked about three ways that we try to help you in this clinic? Here's the third. We must identify transferable principles because we're going to see steps one and two in action as we approach a live optimization session. So I'm about to, about to move into that, but I'm going to stop for a moment. I'm going to get your feedback. Is this moving at the right pace for you? Are you learning from this? Can you use the Q&A to, to uh, communicate with me? I'm walking here where I can see. I see a big yes in all caps. Good pace. Excellent. Keep, keep giving me feedback. I'm reading it. I'm going to optimize on the fly. Good feedback. Excellent. All right. It's helpful for me to see this. I'm going to keep watching it even while I call up Spencer to help me in just a moment. And uh, he's going to join us as we start to look at a page. I've been, uh, I see that they've inserted this page for you. If you're interested in help, having our team help you with some of your own testing needs, then uh, you can go to that particular email address. You can call that particular number. You can. Uh, it's a, it's a, the survey after the webinar. Oh, on the survey, you can check that box. All right, I'm being coached by Paul Cheney, our <laughs> writers. <laughs> Apparently, uh, you you check the box on the survey. That seems easier. I think he's optimized. 
and we're going to move right on to a submission. Zagat Wine. So, primary channels paid search. The conversion objective is to enroll in the wine club. The target audience is people searching for a wine club. We're going from the slide to the live internet feed so we can scroll up and down and give you data. Audience, before we hear from Spencer, tell me how to make this page better. Tell me how to make this page better. What would you do? Show me. All right, I'm listening. One call to action. Learn more at top takes them away from the form. Bad idea. Shorten it. Make it shorter, someone else says. Conversion point above the fold, says James. What wines do we get, says Paul. Paul is already interested in the wines. He's obviously a serious drinker. Uh, put the form above the fold. Change the text on the button. Better iPad, says Graham. Uh, be an instant wine expert. By the way, Karen, I saw that correction from bitten to button. Uh, I'm assured now that you are a, a competent speller. Uh, call to action above the break. Uh, all text uh, left aligned, someone says. Use bullets instead of paragraphs. All right, I've got Spencer. Spencer's an expert here that works on major projects for us. He oversees one of the largest research programs we have with one of the largest banks in the world. And, uh, and so he has he's seen a lot of optimization projects. Spencer, tell us how you help this page get better. Well, the first thing I considered in this uh, page is that, uh, did anybody notice that it's a uh, paid search? So the folks are definitely looking for a wine club. <clears throat> so the first thing you've got to uh, know is where am I? So is Zagat Wine, great URL for them. Right. And so they know where they are. They know what they can do here is 12 outstanding wines, just 69.99. And I do think uh, you don't know what kind of wines you're going to get. I think that the question of why should I do it here is the one that's really missing on this. And what I'd want to do a radical redesign on is what are the wines? I want to have some testimonials from very happy clients and uh, going from there. I think as you go down, down the way, if you're going to rotate down Slide as down you screen. go down, yep. uh, you have the uh, purchase down here on the left side. In some ways, when I'm thinking about the thought process, I want to put it over to the right. You see the Zagat Wine Club benefits. That should be up higher in that situation as you go through. And then, um, So those are the, the first thoughts that I have about that. Um, it's not a bad page. I think it probably sells very much, but boy, I think there's a lot of opportunity and a lot of missed wine sales there. All right, so, so Spencer's designed a treatment. I'm going to design another test treatment with him right now since, uh, since he's given us this. I've not seen this page until just now, but let me make some, some points. Number one, we're offering free gifts and an incentive. That's wonderful, but the incentive is early in the process before I fully understand what the offer is. And never use an incentive that you have to sell so that you can sell what you're really trying to sell. In this case, the incentive is taking more text than the offer at the top. Something is wrong when we interrupt the thought process with this much text regarding the incentive. I would put it later in the process and I'd use that valuable space to tell more about what the core offer is. The next thing I would do, if you'll scroll down, is I'd be very careful right now about collecting this much information on this page. I like the idea that you're trying to more or less collect the order on the single page. But I would test against that, and we won't know until you run the test, and I've seen this go both ways. But in most times, if we just captured the name and email address here and initiated the order and told them it was step one of two, we could then remarket to anyone who didn't complete the order process, and I've often seen a huge, Great point. Great point. A huge gain from, from those people. So I would test email and name only, take them to a second page. By the way, put value on that page. Remind them on that page. Use the right column to keep that value proposition in front of them. Now, there's more than that because what's carrying this offer is the brand. It is not clear why I would particularly use this 
as opposed to some of the other offers on the internet. The value proposition needs to be strengthened all the way through this offer and then I would attempt to do this two-step close process and I would, uh, I would, by the way, for those of you that are concerned about spam, what you do is you put a pre-check text box that says, contact me unless if I'm unable to complete my order. Well, anyone that doesn't go to the next step has not completed their order. You send them a, an email message from customer support, not from marketing. And it says something like, we noticed you were unable to complete your order. Is there any way we can help? And then it has this very helpful, very friendly message. You'd be amazed at how many you can drive back into the cart from that process. So Spencer's giving you treatment, and, his, and, and frankly, he may be right. The one that's a single page, I mean, there are no, I just want to stress this to everybody here, there are no expert marketers. There are only experienced marketers and expert testers. And Spencer is an expert tester. And what happens here is we all posit what those treatments might be, and then we get the test design. What right. I'd like to see is we can test them against each other and see who wins. Well, I, I don't We're want to know the answer to that. I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to appear smart and not be... Uh, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln said, it's, it's better to be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Oh, uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask for Nicholas to come up and join us. I'm moving to uh, uh, another version of the deck, so let's go forward to the next page. I think uh, we have the page itself, but take me to the slide deck first, if you could, gentlemen, so that we can look at the background information. Uh, I want to see the primary channel and so on, so they're going to shift us from the actual web browser to the deck. There it comes. So the primary channel is SEO and SEM. The conversion objective is to submit lead form, so that's the key. The ultimate objective is, of course, the quality and the quantity. And then the target audience is commercial construction industry professionals. And uh, Nicholas is with me. He's a research manager and uh, running four major projects for us right now that we're doing across the research laboratory. Uh, Nicholas, tell us what you do. Um, I'm a research manager on this page. Uh, one of the major flaws I see in it is that there's no communication of value proposition in this. Okay. Um, we have to get 180,000 commercial construction reports, but there's no statement of why you would want those. Yes. Um, we're targeting professionals, um, but we're trying to increase the quality of our lead. Um, I would maybe possibly add some more form fields on the right side um, and just add more value on there mainly. Now, 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 Nicholas says something that's counterintuitive. He talks about adding form fields. There are two ways to achieve this, but at the beginning, the very reason you say that, tell us why you would add friction to a process. Um, adding friction with form fields can often increase the quality of your leads, while it will no doubt uh, decrease from the quantity. But generally, you find that having it, getting more quality is better than just... Okay, all right. All right, now, I'm going to take what Nicholas has said, and I want to talk about a design that uh, is a hybrid of that, so scroll back up. First of all, he has put his finger on the key. The value proposition is not clear. And it looks, uh, I don't know who submitted this particular page, but I really want to help you. This is a page that I think you can improve and see a dramatic increase. Start searching now with free access is good. Get free access to 108,000. That's a good headline. But I need to understand more about what this means. And I could use the space on the left to give me a visual about what these construction reports look like if indeed that's necessary. But never offer an incentive or a product that isn't easy to conceptualize or visualize. And often this is where your graphic can do significant work for you. I would punch up the value proposition. I would punch up the visuals. I would have a real strong call to action. And then I would change this form. And here's why I change it. I change it so you could use it to maximize your understanding of the quantity of leads. And I would make it two steps. On the first part of this form, I would capture only the name and email address, similar to what we talked about before, but for a different reason. On the next 
page. I would add form fields. I would use Nicholas's idea. I would probably add more than you have here and use that friction to further qualify the lead. Someone who completes both pages is a high quality lead. But more importantly, someone who fills out those fields is going to help you score better. You can adjust the number of skills. You can reduce them on the next page depending on how many people are dropping off between the first and the second page. But why that is so helpful for you is simply this. You now have a two-dial system. You can dial up quantity and measure it independently on this page. And you can measure quality independently on this page. And so what's going on is you're, you're being able to go back and forth between the two and you can tell sales confidently, no, the quantity of leads is not down. Uh, no, the, the quality of leads is not down. Or we're seeing more quantity but less quality. We're seeing more quality but less quantity. But you have the facts because you're not trying to do two objectives on one page. And that makes it easier for you. So, excellent point. Anything else you'd add, Nicholas? Um, I would also add some third-party credibility. Um, there's nothing in here stating why the 180,000 uh, commercial reports are Absolutely. effective. Absolutely. Good point. I don't even see... Could scroll up to the top, if you could, uh, in the tech news. CDC news. Hmm. Free access, private jobs, public dogs. All right. I'd like to understand the full impact of that brand and its impact on design, but we will move on. Now, if you're here and you've submitted a page and we haven't looked at it, remember the point here. I want to help you understand transferable principles. What we're trying to do is posit radical redesigns or, or that, that, that we would use in situations like this to ask, are we even in the right category before we tried the other type of testing? So thank you, Nicholas. Okay. All right. So Spencer's going to come back up with me. We're going to look at another page. This is UNICEF. And uh, it is uh, television commercials. It is... Um, the objective is to make a donation. So your traffic is coming from the commercials. The job is to make a donation. The ultimate objective, new monthly donors. Spencer, take a look at this page. But before you do, let's hear the audience on this one. Audience, let's help them. Uh, I have uh, the world's smartest focus group. Tell me what you do to make this page better. The form is way too long. A life story, says Daniel. Interesting, Daniel. Terrible blue header, says Marlon. Too many fields. Shorten it. Less text, says someone else. Melody says use multi-ethnic photos. What does the headline mean, says um, Christian? Blue text, sad face, says David. He's an elegant communicator. Two-step form, says Jeff McKay. Lessen the form field, says Gregor. Why should I donate, says Igor. Uh, change the process phrase, says Trevor. All right, keep those coming. I want to see what you would do. In fact, let me just stop. You've, you're identifying this, but audience, tell me the number one change. You're all seeing problems. But what is the number one thing you would change about this page? Bullet point showing how it helps, says uh, Jeff. I think using a video is too distracting. The headline, says Christian, and he says it in all caps. He means it. The shorter form. Navigation, value prop, too blue, too long. Um, and give more reasons why this should donate. All right, so I'm getting a sense from the audience how they're thinking. We'll study that in more detail. I'm going to turn it over to Spencer. Spencer, talk to us. Well, when I was looking at this page, one, I'm thinking about people, they're coming from the TV, so they're taking uh, TV commercials. UNICEF is very well known. <clears throat> so in some ways, we don't have to worry about the credibility that might be involved with some of the other partners we have. One of the things that hit me, and, and I agree, the headline to me, End Child Deaths by Making a Monthly Gift, to me is, I'd want to change that completely to going to the positive side and seeing what happens then, because that is really the connection that people come in I also agree, you look at the gift information, there's three different options, and then you can put in your own different uh, decision there. 
So getting people in a two-step process where you're getting the name, they're interested in doing that nurturing as you go forward yes. if they don't complete the, the process. Because certainly when they're making a donation, you have a lot of form fields that you have to fill out there. So I think, you know, being a, a an established organization, I'd look at a lot of different things. The video is a YouTube video. I like having videos that are, that are not YouTube, so it's more professional. Um, Alyssa Milano, she might have been on the commercial, so I might try something else which is more of a, an individual who is actually receiving the benefits from it so they can see that good part of it. There would be a lot of things I'd want to try now, out with this. But the Milano, Milano is, since they're coming from the commercials... Uh, that would be a hook in there. Yeah, it yeah. is a hook. It is, is, it yeah. is tight continuity. Um, uh, but uh, I think Spencer makes some important points. Anything else you'd say, Spencer? No, I think I'd love to have an opportunity to do this. I, I certainly believe in what UNICEF does. So, Excellent. You know, okay. We go from there. All right. So I want to do something different than I did in the last. Um, I, I, want, uh, I want to get technical about the page. I want to talk about every single thing I'd like to change rather than give you a general concept for radical redesign. And I'm going to do it rapidly. If you have your own page in mind right now, this whole live optimization session will be better for you because you should be thinking about, okay, how does this connect with my page? It doesn't matter if you're B2B lead gen. It doesn't matter if you're B2C right now. It doesn't matter if you're a for-profit as opposed to a not-for-profit. Most of these principles will apply to you. Let's start with the top. I think the colors need to be tested. I think blue is probably a UNICEF color. That's good, but the entire page shouldn't be highlighted this way because I think in its own right, it may hurt your conversion rate. I think the glaring issue at the top of the page is the headline. Uh, that's called a fear-based motivated headline. We have a clinic on this. If somebody here can send the audience or, or, or use Twitter to give them a link to a recent clinic where we talked about how to get headlines right. In fact, we may have some new things we're going to be teaching about that. But the bottom line is that headline is difficult to understand, it's uh, negative in its motivation, and it, it is a bit direct in your face and crass. Secondly, it's missing a subheader. I would go to a more compelling headline and I would use a subheader underneath it before I get him into the paragraph. Next, I wouldn't use blue on white for all the paragraph text. Every test I've ever done shows that it hurts conversion rate. Two, I wouldn't use paragraphs that are that long. I'd shorten the paragraphs, I'd use bullet points, and I'd use a bold font through there. Three, let's stay, let's stay right up at the top still. I would change the copy. So Luke, just slide me up to the top. Uh, I would change the copy. C, I would test that image. Maybe you've done this, but I would test a dozen images there because the right face will have a major impact on conversion. That's a compelling picture. It's attractive, but if it's not your best... In fact, we ran a test recently. It was not a not-for-profit, but we had offices submitting pictures of their of their personnel for the face shot on a landing page. And I think, Spencer, were you in that test? No, I, I know the test, though. That John was running that one. John was running that test in our group. And from what I understand, it produced a... Uh, it produced... Uh, uh, the winning was a Chinese yeah, employee. The Chinese office was the one who made the, the winning submission. And this is primarily in the United States they're doing the selling. So it was a rather interesting. Yes, yeah, so, so the employees submitted the, the face shots. We used them. We tested them. And for some reason, the Chinese face in the U.S.-based test produced the highest conversion lift. What's the point? Test the image. Next thing I would test is the gift amount. We recently did, I say recently, it's been a couple of years ago, but a series of tests where we changed the messaging, the tone, 
and the way that the, the, the gifts amount were stated, and we saw an increase not only in the number of conversions, but the average dollar of the donation, uh, I would thoroughly test the gift amount, and I'd be careful. I would also pre-check the radio box, if at all possible, so that one of the decisions is made for them. Three evenly weighted options mitigate your conversion rate. What you want is a conversion rate that um, uh, has natural momentum building towards it. And every time you ask them to stop and think about it too hard, the momentum slows down on the page. And you can see that as we come uh, and look at this. To the right, I would question that big blank space where the UNICEF bottle is. Scroll down. Uh, sign up today and receive an exclusive UNICEF water bottle. Who knows that this is the best incentive? And if you do, that's not the place to put it. That incentive needs to be down there near the call to action button, not over on the right-hand side. And I'd use that entire right-hand side because this is a, this is a not-for-profit to establish uh, either motivation or credibility. Motivation would be more touching stories. Credibility would be more testimonials. The UNICEF brand, if it's respected well enough, may not need a lot of additional credibility. So you may invest in motivation, i.e. stories and elements that really drive the pathos behind this donation. Yeah, such as uh, your 20 month, uh, $20 a month uh, donation will do this or yes. make it very specific. Yes. yes. I think the field is intimidating. If you must collect all this information on this page, then do you see that middle section? Show us the middle section, Luke, where it talks about contact. You can, you've got enough width there to make that, uh, to cut the length of that, to make that in two columns, just the form fields, and make it way less intimidating in terms of perception and friction. Because remember, friction occurs in the mind, not on the page. I would try to reduce these number of fields. I would question whether or not to collect all this on one page, and I would definitely test, and I've done it both ways, and sometimes this works better, but I would definitely test in this case, step one of three, break it into three, or step one of two, break it into two. Keep going down, keep going down. We're trying to be very careful about this. Under the credit card, under the CVV number, and the expiration date, and all this information, I see no statements of privacy. The privacy statements down here, there's a verify or a verisign secured, but it's too far removed when we're asking for the information. Move it closer to the process and look at the button itself. Process is a terrible button. Nobody wakes up in the morning and wants a process. Nobody wakes up in the morning and wants to be processed. Nobody wakes up in the morning and wants to process. The button has its own independent sub-value proposition and it needs to be weighted in favor of a promise. Say something like, start making a difference today. Uh, get your free kit today. But instant and value, what I get and when I get it is a prime motivator for that click. And you've got to give somebody a reason to click on every single thing. In fact, every action you ask them to take must be motivated by a click. Yeah, start helping now might be a good one also. Yeah, start helping now could be good. Scroll back up. Look at, look at how you have all this billing separate from all this. This whole form field needs to be redesigned to get the most value out of it. And it can be done, and you'd see a huge lift. And I want to suggest to you that if you think this current page is performing well, then um, uh, look out because there's an opportunity to take this page and dramatically improve it. We have done this not just with groups like you. We've done it with major nonprofits uh, on the fundraising side. We're doing it one with one of the largest nonprofit foundations in the world right now. We're running tests. We just finished a series with World Vision. And we've learned a lot from running these kinds of tests. And there's much here that can be helpful. Let's move on. We're running out of time. We've got four minutes. I'm asking Nicholas to come up here. Nicholas is going to talk faster. Are you still learning from this? Is this still helpful? Or do you find the live op is, is a good part to add to these? If you have thoughts on that, let me know. Meanwhile, I'm going to go straight to a page because I want to use every single minute 
of what we have together to teach something or so that we can all learn together and get value. I see the primary channel here is AdWords, Nicholas, with the 20% uh, Ad Center. The objective here is to complete the form and click a link that's emailed to them so that they can uh, make their requests. And who's the target audience? Consumers who are looking for an auto body service. So this is the page. Nicholas, what would you do? Uh, the first thing I see is that, first off, they have to go, they have to click a link they get in their email to uh, make the bid live. I don't see it say that anywhere on the page. So something uh, stating that they're going to be getting an email to make, and they'll need to make the test live because they may put in a 10-minute email to uh, avoid getting spam mail from them. Um, so in this case, uh, it would destroy the lead on that. And if they are sure that they have to put in a real email address, to be a way to ensure that they do that. Yes. Um, another thing is lower on the page, uh, there are bullet points. Um, I would add these uh, above the call to action. So it follows user's thought sequence. They have the value proposition before they're asked to engage in any uh, activity. And, <coughs> and uh, the video, uh, in, I see that as supporting information. I don't know if I'd keep it right up um, almost above the title. I would probably move it down um, probably on the right side of the bullets once they're moved up. Now, that, that's a test. We don't know that that's going to work better, but this is a, a business for redesign. You may have tested some of these elements before, and it's the combination of them that produces the yield. But Nicholas makes a good point. I want to point out, for those of you that are joining, this is the best page we've looked at so far today. This page will outperform every page I've seen today unless there's a higher motivation from the incoming audience. I think you'd benefit from a subheader, Nicholas. Uh, I think the paragraph, you think the paragraph is the right... It, it, it's too much text in too large a cluster with no bulleted font, too hard to grasp it. I try to cut that to two or three sentences and drop a couple of bullets underneath it. I like the simplicity of your form. I like the fact that you're using your form fields to communicate. Provide a summary. You can add more detail later. I think that's smart. Uh, I think start is a good idea, but it's vague. What do you mean start? Didn't I just do what I need to do? What else is going to happen? How long is this? What is this going to take? How many minutes is this? I'd call this form my two-minute uh, something something process or my 90 second or my three minute so that everybody understands this is really quick you can really learn what you need and uh, and I would go down scroll down let me see a little bit more um, uh, I think the, I think your credibility indicator is good but I don't know that you've dealt with the, the most important anxiety and that is who are these people and why can they really help me with this particular problem what is their expertise where is their specialty what is their connection and it might be what you're trying to say in the gray box but I've been on the Internet a long time, and I've never heard of you. And, and I would probably try harder to establish a little more credibility about why you can help them find the best answer. I think we're out of time today, but Nicholas, thank you. Oh, thank Spencer, you. thank you also. Uh, I know we took you away from lots of research and busy work, and uh, probably playing, spending time on Facebook. Um, but um, we're grateful for all of your input. If you're just joining us, we've been doing these clinics for years. We're the oldest laboratory uh, in the world studying the internet and optimization and we're still learning every day it's a community of researchers and scientists and we want to learn more help us learn more interact with us go to the websites tell a friend about us we've also not used the television style format that you're going to be seeing more of this whole business is going to show you more and more options for how you can learn from us you can watch it you can read it and uh, or you can listen to it but we want to give you every possible way to get better at helping people say yes to the right offer. Thank you, and we will uh, be back again in about two weeks with more research briefs. Thank you for listening to this recording of a Marketing Experiments Live web clinic. 
You can sign up to receive invites to future live web clinics, as well as receive access to $10 million worth of Internet marketing research at marketingexperiments.com. Thank you.